Welcome to Full Access OK. My name is Skyler Cooper, and as always, I am here with Steve Berg. Hello. You catch us on the KRMG Afternoon News every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. on 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. We're glad you're listening here on the podcast. And we don't know what time of year you're listening to it, but for this episode, we took advantage of a beautiful, sunny January day when the temps were about 20 degrees above normal. We headed over to the granddaddy of Tulsa Museums, the Philbrook Museum of Art. But as you'll find out, when you go there, or if you peruse their Facebook and Instagram, this is not your grandfather's or even your father's Philbrook Museum. Just the fact that they have Facebook and Instagram pages tells you something. The relatively new museum director, he's been there about six years, says they've come up with lots of new and innovative ways to breathe new life into Philbrook and get people excited about going there. He came here from Minnesota. His name's Scott Stulen. That's Stulen, not Stolen. Like we first thought. I get that all the time. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a made-up Norwegian name. So. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> we were at Tulsa's Philbrook Museum, and we thought the best way to start is for someone who's possibly never been here or even heard of it, just give us your elevator pitch. What is Philbrook Museum? Well, I think in a way, I, I kind of like even for us, it's like define the notion of a museum. So we're really a place that brings people together, and we happen to use art and gardens as those vehicles to do that. And I think here we have the really unique thing. We have an historic villa. We have 23 acres of formal and informal gardens. We have an encyclopedic collection. But the biggest thing is that we use all those things to have this be a gathering place for people in the community. What are some of the highlights of those exhibits? You know, everybody has their own personal favorites for it. I think the gardens are really a standout here. If I was going to say if this is a concert, that would be our headliner, is like kind of coming out and seeing those uh, really amazing and beautiful gardens. And we've enhanced those, and we're adding more things to those all the time. And I also love that we're animating that more, because I think for a long time the garden was something where people would walk out and look outside and like, pretty photo, go back inside. <laughs> And now we're actually activating it and using it for things and having, you know, we're having like beer festivals out there and music and films and like we have swings all over the gardens and we've got a mud kitchen so kids can just dig a hole in the ground and things like that. And we've changed the museum enough too that, you know, when I first came here, like my first week, you couldn't walk in, on the grass in the gardens in a lot of places because it just was that type of space. And now I, we give kids shovels and let them go dig it up. So it's like we've kind of gone that full circle on things. Um, but to come back to your actual question for it, um, like artwork in the collection, like I really, the Candy Wiley is, is a significance, not only because people um, really like it, I like it too, but it's one of the first significant pieces that I acquired when I came to the museum too. So that's a piece that kind of for me stands out because it was something that was a bit of a risk for us to bring in that's become something kind of synonymous now with our collection. But of course, we've got classics in the collection. You know, everything from the Candy Wiley to the Shepherdess painting, this Bouguereau that has become um, over the years a favorite. But everybody has their own personal favorite, and we're uh, you know changing things all the time. My big thing is I do not want to have a museum that you went on your fourth grade field trip, you saw everything, you come back 20 years later, and all the same stuffs in the same place. I want to be a place that you can come here multiple times a month, maybe even multiple times a week, and have a different experience. Did you mention restaurant already? I have not mentioned that yet. So we're actually, we've changed up our restaurant a little bit. And uh, actually this week we're launching, we've been doing a series of residencies here. So we had Antoinette's, the bakery in town that had a residency here for several months. And now Elote is coming in and we're gonna have um, the two exhibitions we have currently and the next one are gonna be uh, Latinx themed artists. And we're gonna 
know, have tacos and margaritas and other things here during that period. So we're kind of theming the food to the exhibitions. Let's look at the history a little bit of this place. It's so historic in its roots. So if you could give us a little bit of the history. Yeah, the short history here is Wait and Genevieve Phillips, Phillips Petroleum built this home uh, for themselves and their two kids at the time to live here back in 1927, 1928. They only lived here for 11 years in this kind of really amazing Italianate villa with the gardens. And then I uh, decided to move downtown and gave the property to the city to be an art museum. So Philbrook became Philbrook after that point, but with two big uh, differences. There was no collection given as part of that and no endowment. So <laughs> all of the kind of funds to operate the museum and the art came from the generosity of the community and all the leaders that kind of came after that point over the last 80 years. We've done a previous episode on uh, the Phil Tower and, yes. and all that stuff. So we, we were sort of going back in time here for this one, I guess. And Steve, it seems, not really on purpose, but we've been hitting a lot of stops around town that are about to hit 100 years. That's true, yeah, and I was kind of wondering uh, how long of a gap was there between the time it was a residence and the time it became a museum? How long did that take? It was a really short period of time, so it was a, it was a couple of years of just transition over that, but um, they're really, it almost seamlessly moved into that point and then was opened as the museum. We'll celebrate our 100th here. Uh, coming up in a little bit, we're poised to actually celebrate the 100th anniversary of the villa itself, in, in uh, 27, 2027. And then we'll do Philbrook's kind of anniversary will be 38 when we do that. So it's been a museum, what, roughly nine times longer than it was ever a residence? Yes, yeah, and it has. It has a much longer, it was a very short period of time that it, relatively that they lived here. And uh, you know, it was really built for so they could host parties on the main level and then live in the lower and upper levels of it. And then when it became a museum, I think the unique part about it is it was, this isn't a historic home where it was intended that they want to preserve kind of how the Phillips family had it. They wanted it to be an art museum, so change what you need to change. So there's aspects that have changed completely. Like when you walk into the welcome gallery and you first come in, that was the kitchen originally. Oh. And it looks nothing like that, of the course. The rotunda? Uh, right. As you exit the rotunda and go into the villa proper, that first gallery was the kitchen. And it's been completely renovated. But then the Great Hall is basically how it was. So there's aspects that are very similar to that. Now, as a museum, it presents some challenges because we don't have a lot of like white box galleries. We have a home. So we try to lean into that and create artwork that fits into those spaces or is in, you know, in conflict in really interesting ways in those spaces uh, and not try to kind of fight against it but lean into it. So it's not a museum of this is where you're going to see these things. It's, it's what can we kind of fit to mold what we want people to feel when they're in here and experience. And we, we want to have it themed around having different conversations. So often you'll go into a space and we don't have like a linear history of like you're going to start in ancient Egypt and go all the way up to contemporary walking through it. Um, we have some holes if we we're going to do some of that. But what we want it to be is something where you're seeing a different conversation around a theme or different things, different artworks that you wouldn't expect next to each other. I find that far more interesting. And it's far more interesting for people to come in and see how that changes and evolves. We also are, are actively collecting. Um, we actually sold a Chinese vase here um, shortly after I arrived. And it had been in storage, hadn't been on display. Uh, the value had gone up considerably. And it sold for over $17 million. So that has allowed us to buy from that one art piece uh, that, again, at times was valued in the 80s as $100,000. So the market had changed quite a bit. We took advantage of kind of an opportunity there through the proper procedures. 
But since then, we've bought hundreds of arts, works of art from that one piece that fit our collection, that have been engaging with our audience and keeping things kind of constantly moving and alive. That's a, a great thing for the museum, but also like a life lesson. You know, hang on to things that could change. <laughs> so I'm the farthest thing in the world from an expert on museum etiquette, but I've, I've always gotten the impression that museums try to loan stuff to each other. So uh, do you guys do that? And how does that work? Uh, is there some kind of governing body or something that decides how long a collection can be loaned and so, so on and so forth? It's a great question, and I think it's something that people, there's this whole kind of st structure that people aren't even aware of. Uh, so we have a couple governing bodies. There's the Association of Museum Directors and also AM, American Association of Museums, and they basically have an accreditation process. So we just finished ours. You do it every 15 years, and they look at all your bylaws, they look at your documentation, your board, all of those pieces of it, and they also monitor that you're doing the things that museums are supposed to be doing to take care of their art. So they're kind of that you know, policing organization of that. So if you're accredited, that's essentially that another museum can say, like, if I'm going to loan it to you, that I feel like you're going to take care of it. <laughs> it's not going to disappear, or you're not going to have no air conditioning, it's sitting outside, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, of course, we have a lot of insurance and other things that go with it, like anything else with that. But that's, that's part of it. And yes, we get requests all the time to loan work for other museums. We kind of look at where they're going to be loaned. Can we be without it for that period of time? Um, there's certain works that can only be shown for certain periods of time before they need to rest. Another thing people aren't quite aware of is photographs and works on paper, like drawings, can only be out for a certain period of time in light before they have to go back in the dark. So it's all those factors that go into that. But what we like to do is have as much of our collection out in public view as possible. And one of those ways is loaning to other museums. So I was thinking about the importance to you and, and Philbrook, everybody who works here, what is the importance of art in life? And what do people get out of coming to a place like this? Yeah, and I think for me, that's because I'm, I'm not a traditional museum person as a director. I'm one of the only directors in the country, actually, that instead of coming from an art historian background, I come as an artist, a musician, as a maker instead of a historian. Both are good. It's not to say one is better than the other, but I think it's a little bit different perspective. And for me, it's about impacting people. Like, it's great to have all these objects. It's wonderful. We want to be able to preserve that history. But if it's just to kind of have the stuff and nobody sees it or it isn't relevant to anybody, kind of so what? So I think the big part of it is how do you take these objects or this building or these gardens and impact people, connect them with others, tell stories that are important to them, make things that are relevant in their lives or things that they should know about. And I think through that, we can impact people by telling stories. We can show a really diverse array of artists from around the world, talk about a whole range of different subjects, and do so in a, a subtle way. I think it just exposes people to a lot of different things. And I feel like the more that people are exposed to different ideas and cultures, the more tolerant they become, and it makes a better community. For a long time, in Tulsa's museum scene, it was you know Philbrook and Gilcrease. Yes. And even really recently, things are changing. You know, we've got Greenwood Rising, and OK Pop is on the way. That's a good sign, right? It's a great sign. So the more that we can add these cultural institutions here to the community, uh, not only does it help each other, but we start to create this critical mass. And what we want is have is these places that people that live here can go all the time and be part of. But we also want places that, as we're thinking, is the kind of the broader tourism market 
that you're going to come here and say, I'm coming for to see Gathering Place, for example, but I'm going to stay an extra three days because there's all this other stuff to see. So we've been really working actively together with all those groups to how we can market together, even sync up exhibitions together, and how we can partner more. Because again, like it does, it does really make all of us better. And it does create this kind of thing that um, I think we can compete with a lot of much bigger communities because of the amazing stuff we have here. How do we stack up currently? We stack up really well. And I think I, I will tell you currently, I mean, you know, depending on when all this airs, um, we are in the running right now from a USA Today for the best art museum in the country. There's a contest going on right now. And currently, Philbrook is number one. And we're against New York and Chicago and other museums. That speaks a lot to like how people feel about our culture here in Tulsa, I think how our museums stand out. And I can tell you there's people that have never stepped foot in Tulsa that are well aware of what's happening in the different museums and the other culture institutions here. I'm glad you brought up the USA Today thing because we've actually, we, I, Tulsa collectively, we've yes. won a few of those. Yeah. And so it's really cool. <laughs> when does voting close on that? Voting closes on that uh, February 14th. So we've got a little bit of time on that. And I know currently, uh, uh, I believe Woody Guthrie is up for a music museum piece on that. And I think we also have, I, think, I believe, Guthrie Green's up for one. We won for a wine event. I know Gathering Places won. And I know that Mother Road Market's won in the past, too. So. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed that I don't recall seeing before, so I don't know if it's new or if I just wasn't paying attention, but it seems like in the last few years, you guys have really made a concerted effort to reach out on social media, to create more of a social media presence on Facebook and such to kind of I don't know, and this is just me, but Philbrook, I don't know, sort of had a reputation maybe as being maybe a little stodgy old fashioned. But when I, when I look at the social media stuff, some of it is, you know, genuinely funny. And it seems kind of, you know, fresh, hip, whatever term the kids are using these days. <laughs> yeah, we really, we're proud of our social media. We take them a little bit more, I think, irreverent and playful approach to it than probably other cultural organizations have historically. It's become a big part of our brand. There's a, we have a lot bigger kind of base of social media followers than probably a museum of our size in the middle of the country deserves, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. I think we've earned that. But I think within that, it's partly because we have been playful, topical. We can put out stuff. We just put out something with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey like right after the game on, on Sunday night so that we're like on those things and be able to kind of be able to respond very quickly. And there's a lot of museums that have looked to us you know, because of that. But um, on the other side of it, I think what really matters, you can have that voice on your social media and it better match up when you come here. Mm -hmm. So we don't have one voice there and then you come and you're that stodgy museum still here in person. I feel really strongly that what we want to do is not be that stuffy old museum, that place where you're worried about touching something and somebody's going to follow you around and everything like feels like it's just quiet. We want to be a place that feels like it's alive. There's people here, you can kids, you see kids running and laughing, great. Um, but you can have that traditional museum experience, or you can come here and see a band have a margarita on a Friday night, and both of those are good. Well, you guys do some fun things, you know, beyond the, the presence on your social media, but the events that you hold, like the cat video events. Yes. I mean, where does that come from? Yeah, well, cat video is my problem. So, like, uh, <laughs> that goes a little bit back. I actually started the Cat Video Festival in my prior museums uh, 11 years ago now, and we brought it here when I came to uh, to Philbrook. So it's been here now for uh, it'll be seven straight years, and we'll do another one this year, so it'll be eight. But uh, yeah, we show internet cat videos out in the garden. It is our number one film event each year still. And we had nearly a thousand people out here in the 
hot summer and they were all out to watch cat videos and people love it. I have some weird cats. Can I submit you some videos? You absolutely can. <laughs> He's not kidding. <laughs> Murray. Murray's a weirdo. <laughs> we always like to close podcasts with absolutely. looking toward the future and what the future plans are. So uh, we have an exciting plan for the next few years. So we've kind of built up to a certain point, and now we're ready to launch uh, a capital campaign. And we have several capital projects that we'll be breaking ground soon. So we'll, you know, coming up here in May, we're going to break ground a new pavilion that's going to be out in the garden. Uh, this is uh, going to be a place that we're going to be able to do uh, farm-to-table meals out there. It's going to have restrooms, a catering kitchen. It's going to have multi-purpose space to do classes, to lectures, to rental events, small concerts whole variety of things is kind of a hub out in the garden and that will be completed in the spring of 2025 so that's happening and then we're working on several different renovations inside the building to create new cafe space um, we're going to have new space for uh, showing artwork but also spaces for people just to hang out and making that more enjoyable as well and then really exciting stuff like the hvac system Stuff like that. <laughs> but all of it needs to happen. But it's going to be over the next couple of years. We've got a lot of renovations that are going to be happening here to the building and some, some deferred maintenance that we need to address. But all of it is going to make the experience here of coming to Philbrook better. Where should people go to find you online and get a hold of you? Philbrook.org or find us on all the social media platforms. And we're, we're out there and present. Scott, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So at the time we're recording this, spring is right around the corner. Those gardens will be blooming soon and will be a perfect time to discover or probably in many cases rediscover Philbrook. I myself have my eye, Skyler, on that May beer festival that Scott mentioned. Yeah, maybe we should go. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and if you're listening to this before February 19th, be sure to vote for Philbrook in that USA Today poll. Thanks for listening. This has been Full Access OK. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Yeah.